Lie. Hey, don't you want to see what's inside? Absolutely. Faster. Yeah, 13 across, four high, four deep. That's, uh, 208 bricks. How much? Oh, uh, 208 times 27. 2.7. 2.7 million. What? <gasps> no, it's 27. That's 27 million. That's 27 million dollars worth of coal. <laughs> yeah! Got the Holy Spirit. You should get on it. It's a good train. Well, that's what we're going to uh, talk about today. Not stealing gold bars, um, but about the mysterious third part of the Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, we're in the middle of a series called Creed, which uh, we have been looking at a particular uh, statement of faith, statement of belief that uh, is very important to the history of Christianity called the Nicene Creed. It was written in uh, 325 A.D. after the death of Jesus. And it's probably one of the most important statements on Christian faith. Like, you read this and you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, By the way, my name's Chris, and uh, we're glad that you're here today. And uh, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about easy subjects like God the Father, Uh, God the Son last week, and this week we're going to talk about God the Holy Spirit. And if you've missed any of those teachings, you can pick up one of the uh, Connections cards, uh, or you can pick up uh, one of them at the Connections table. So I have a real easy assignment today. I'm going to talk about someone that no one has ever seen. And even more stranger is that He's called the Holy Ghost. I mean, when you think of the word ghost, what do you think of? You know what I think of? This is what I think of. Casper the Friendly Ghost, right? And so then when I think of Holy Ghost, this is what I think of. You know, WWJD bracelet and uh, cross there, and, and that makes him holy. Now, it's interesting that uh, out of all the translations uh, of the Bible, only the King James actually uses that term, Holy Ghost. All the rest of them uh, use the word Holy Spirit. So the question becomes, what does that word spirit mean in the Bible? Well, in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, uh, it's all written in Greek. It's Greek to me. But uh, it's written in Greek, okay? And the word for spirit is the word pneuma. Pneuma. Uh, And it's pronounced pneuma, not p-nu-p-ni-uma, okay? That's not how you do it. You don't pronounce the p, you just pronounce pneuma, okay? So let's all say that together on three. One, two, three. Pneuma. Good, good. And what that means is air or breath, or wind. 
So the pneuma is the key to life-giving life. For example, if you don't have air, what happens? Real easy, what? You die, right? If you don't have breath, what? You die. If you don't have the wind, you either freeze to death or you burn up. And then what happens? You die. So it's like really important to have this. So the spirit is life-giving. And if you have no spirit, then you have no life. In fact, our being, our life is kind of composed of three different things. Our body, our mind, and what? Our spirit. Folks, your spirit is uniquely you. It's your energy. It's your life force. It's your spiritual DNA. It's your personality. It's you. Now, just think about that. If your spirit is your DNA, your life force, your personality, then what does that make God's spirit? What does it make God's spirit? Well, his spirit is his. His very energy, his very life force, his DNA, and God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, has always existed. It's always been present. The Bible says this, In the beginning, God created the sky and the earth. The earth was empty and had no farm. Darkness covered the ocean and what? What's it say? God's spirit was moving over the water. So God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was present at the very beginning in creation. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all present in the creation account, causing new things to be created. Now what's really now this is really important to understand. We're going to unpack it a little bit later. But what's important to understand is that there aren't three gods. There's just one God who has three persons or three substances connected to him. And one way to understand this, as I said earlier, is by looking at ourselves. Some of you are good with your body, right? Work out, look buff. All right, maybe not all of you, but some of you are, okay? Some of you have... A brain that you work hard at. You know, you're smart, you're intelligent. Others of you need it dusted off a little bit, okay? And we have a spirit. But the reality is all of us have those three things. They're not three separate things. It's all of us. Our body, our mind, and our spirit. We are one life, but we have three substances connected to it. The Bible continues on with this whole idea of the Holy Spirit being present from the very beginning and present in the creation account when God makes human beings. On the sixth day, God made human beings, and this is what it says. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Now, just looking at that for a second, what's peculiar about that verse? Anybody want to take a guess? Us and our. Why does God use plural language in describing himself? It's plural. It says, 
let us make human beings in our image. Now, why would God say that? Because although there is just one God, he's comprised of three substances, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And since we're made in his image, we kind of begin to have a part of that Trinitarian thought in our own life with body, mind, and spirit. Now, hang in there, folks, because I know some of you are looking right now like, ugh, wow, this is a little overwhelming. Now, here at the JAR, we teach in three different ways. One is we do army talks. In other words, we get people together and we're like, we're going to go and we're going to do something. But if you just do that all the time, you're going to wear people out. Other times, we do what I call hospital talks. We talk about what's going on the inside of us, what's going on in our life, and how we can get healed up. But if you just do that all the time, you'll just stay in bed. You know, you'll never get out. And we do school talks, and that's what this is. We're going to work on knowledge on our brain. But if you just did that all the time, people would just have a lot of knowledge, but they wouldn't do anything. So this is a school talk. You're going to use your heads more than you do your hearts in the midst of this. So some of you dust off your brain. We got pledge that's going to be coming through. You just spray yourself, you know, get it together. So are you ready to jump into the creed now? See, last week I said, are you ready to jump in the creed? And everybody goes, yeah. It's like a mercy clap. You ever had to do that? Kid gets up, he's horrible. But everybody claps for the kid anyways, you know. That's the way it was last week. <laughs> Not your kids, if you have kids, but just, you know, other people's. People at the Methodist church or something like that, you know. <laughs> just joking. Don't write me, you know, this week. Just a joke. I love the Methodists. Okay. All right. Well, let's focus in on the Holy Spirit and what the writers kind of talk about in our creed. And when you walked in today, uh, each of you received this in your program. You can pull it out. And this can be a bookmark or you can uh, put it up on your card. But on the back of it, it has all the creed that's kind of written. And so you can kind of connect uh, with that. Well, this is kind of the third section that talks about the Holy Spirit. It says, we believe. And like I've said the last couple words, that word belief often is kind of overused or misused. And so um, the word that you might want to use is the word trust. Because a lot of people say, oh, I believe in this, I believe in that. But do you trust it? Is it a part of your life? And so it says, we trust in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. Now, this is what these writers are trying to come up with in this section. Right away, what they want you to know is, is that the Holy Spirit is God. It's not a God. It is a part of God. It is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So what is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's a distinct personality, not a knit. He's a distinct personality and not in it because throughout the bible what we see time and time again is that the holy spirit is described as speaking to people guiding people directing people he teaches he encourages he convicts us of sin 
He is called our advocate or counselor. It's like a a legal defense attorney uh, who stands beside you and is for you no matter what. And he and Jesus, God's one and only son, and God the Father are all one, one God. And the Bible is very clear that the living God is one God, not multiple gods, but one God. And so in the very beginning, when God chooses his people, the Israelites, God's chosen people, he, it said, it's told this in the Bible. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is what? One. One God. Only one God. But three substances, three persons. Now, folks, this is deep. I know it's really, really deep. I mean, to think about God the Father, who God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were all present to, but on the creation account, he stepped forward and kind of did that. And then we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus came, God the Son came to the forefront and Jesus came to earth. And he was all flesh, 100% flesh, but he was 100% God. And he came to save, to make us whole, to complete us, to free us, to set us free so we didn't have to carry guilt and worry and anxiety. And then after Jesus died and rose again and ascended back to his Father... The Holy Spirit, who is present during all of this time, comes to the forefront, and he is our advocate. He's the person who's right beside us, who is present with us. Now, the Bible tries to help us to understand this a little bit more by looking at a writing from John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends. And he was one of his best friends. He was a great theologian, a person who thought about God a lot. And this is what he said. But all the world was made through him, that is Jesus, he's talking about Jesus here, that the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. So the word, and that's like a nickname for Jesus, God's son, the word, referring to him, became human and he lived among us. Like I said earlier in the Genesis account, God's son, Jesus, was there at the beginning of it all. He's not created by God. It's not like God created Jesus. Jesus, God's son, is a part of God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not a prophet. He's not just a guy who had a lot of wise sayings. But he is God. That's what we believe. Then the next kind of verse that we see here from John He refers to the Trinity, which is what we've been talking about. The triune God, three persons of being. And he talks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus said. He said, and I, Jesus, will ask the Father, God the Father, and he will give you another counselor, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you do because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Now, I realize that trying to understand the Trinity is, try, is kind of like a newborn baby trying to understand quantum physics, right? 
I mean, it's just difficult to understand. It's like me trying to understand why all these people are watching Glee right now. I don't get it. But people do. They watch Glee. I mean, the Trinity messes with your mind. One of the greatest theologians of all time was a guy by the name of Augustine. And this is what he said. I love it. To fail to believe in the Trinity, you will lose your soul. Try to understand the Trinity, you will lose your mind. In seminary, Bible school, I almost lost my mind. Some of you right now are probably thinking, have you got it back yet? (laughs) I know you. But I spent one whole class just focusing in on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I would be there before class to talk to the professor, ask questions during class. I would go to his office, you know, during the week, and I would talk and ask him question after question, and I still didn't get it. I remember at the end of the class thinking, you are a dope. You've spent all of this time trying to learn this. You've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours studying, reading, talking, thinking, writing. You spent over $2,000 on the class and books. And I was still thinking, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. I mean, I thought maybe I had swimmers here the whole semester, you know. I just couldn't hear him whatsoever. And then finally, one day, an illustration came to me that made the most sense for me. And here it is. Have any of you uh, gone to get ice trays out of a freezer before? Let me see your hand here. Oh, some of you don't raise your hands. You're the ritzy people, right, with your own... Little automatic ice. We're too good for that now, you know. Well, for those of us who aren't the ritzy ones, okay, if you've ever had that experience, you take the ice tray out, and what's in the tray? Ice, right? That's why they call it an ice tray, because there's ice in it. And so if there's ice in the ice tray, when you pull it out, If the temperature is warmer than what is inside, what comes off the ice? Steam, right? Steam, vapor, some kind of steam. And if you forget to put it back in and you leave it out for a very long time, what does it become? Now let me ask you, is it ice, is it steam, or is it water? It's all three, right? It's all three. And no one would argue that. It's all three different substances of H2O. Now that illustration helped me out a lot. I hope it helps you to understand who God is. And yet even it has its own limitations because it's ice. It's not God. God goes beyond any of our thoughts and thinking. And finally, once I did all of this, I finally came down to this. I'm okay with not fully understanding everything about God. I am. And I don't. Because if I fully understood every single thing about God, he would be too small. 
He'd be way too small for me, and there would be no reason for faith. There'd be no reason for us to come and try to encourage and learn and build each other up because he'd be too small. Now, the reason I spent so much time talking about the Trinity is because for some of you, are like, Trina, who? And some of you have heard it a long time, but you've never really had someone talk to you about it. And I think if we were honest, most of us would say, you know what? I don't fully get it. And you know what? I don't either. And some of us would say, well, I get God the Father, you know, somebody who created something. I even get the fact that he had a son. But when it gets to the Holy Spirit, that third part, I'm just not so sure about it. Because a lot of us have a hard time trusting, believing, experiencing God's Spirit in our life. So for the rest of our time, what we're going to simply do is get up close and personal with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to kind of focus in right now because what I'm going to talk about is critical. In the Old Testament, in the first half of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 70 times. That's it, 70 times. But interestingly enough, in the New Testament, it's actually mentioned over 230 times. And that reveals kind of an important distinction to understand, to get. Before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit was only filled in people and empowered people with the Spirit who were a select few. There was only a few people that got God's Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit might come up on a king or a prophet or a very, very important person, but it would never come upon just an ordinary person. And even extraordinary people, it didn't stay with that person forever. It was limited, select, just for a period of time, God's Spirit with that person. <coughs> but one day, God came to a prophet, a messenger, a pastor like myself. God came to him and said, I want you to give this message. His name was Joel. And Joel said this, through God. God told him to say it, but this is what Joel said. One day, I will pour out my spirit on what? All people. Not just a select group of people, but all people. How many people does all include? Everyone. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days. So if you're old, if you're young, if you're male, if you're female, if you're rich, if you're poor, one of these days, the Holy Spirit's going to be upon everybody who chooses to receive it. Not just important people, not just wealthy people, not just people that know their Bible from front to back and go to church ten times a week and all that kind of stuff, but upon all people. There would be a lavishing, an outpouring of God's Spirit to anyone who would choose to receive it. No one would be excluded. There would be no limitation to how much you could receive His Spirit. And then one day, after Jesus died, and He rose again, and He ascended back to the Father, there was a small little group of folks that was still followers of Jesus, 120. Did you ever know that? Jesus spent three years 
He healed tens of thousands of people. He taught tens of thousands of people. He touched the lives of tens of thousands of people. At the end of three years, guess how many were still following? 120. That's it. And so this group is there, and they're meeting together, and they say, well, someone should talk. And Peter, Jesus' best friend, said, I'll stand up and I'll say something. And he gets ready to stand up in the midst of this group. And all of a sudden, there's a wind. (sighs) Like you've never seen or experienced it before. It was the pneuma. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, just kind of came upon them. And the church began. And then Peter gave this electrifying sermon, unlike many that you hear here every Sunday. Thanks for someone, you know. And Peter says, this is it. This is exactly what the prophet Joel has been talking about, and now it's being fulfilled. God's Spirit is being poured upon all people. As the Holy Spirit came upon Peter in the early church, it reminded them that even though Jesus died and he rose again and he's back with the Father, God's Spirit is still with us. It's present. It's right here. And that Spirit is here for you today. The same Spirit of God is present to make us clean and whole and that we become perfect in the sight of God, not because we're perfect, because we're far from it. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're made perfect through his blood. And finally, the ultimate plan that God had been planning for from the very beginning becomes fulfilled. And this is the fulfilled plan. The Father sent the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends the church. And the church brings the kingdom. And what's the kingdom? It's simply God's rule and reign here on earth of his love and his power touching people's lives. It's like a fresh breath of air. Don't you love spring? You get outside and you just smell it. Unless you have allergies, then you're in trouble. But it's just like this breath of fresh air. It's the pneuma. And it comes to you and to me and to Every person on the entire planet who would turn to him. Folks, we as the jar, we're sent to go and be the wind of heaven to the rest of the world. The breath of God to the rest of the world. The world is like suffocating. And it's the church's responsibility to give them some hope, some breath, some fresh air. They're gasping for it. I mean, that's why you're here today. That's why we do this thing called the church. We've been sent to go into a dying world and give breath and life to other folks. Jesus put it like this. The wind, the pneuma, the spirit, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, 
but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Folks, it's true that you cannot see the Holy Spirit. You can't see it. But it doesn't mean that you don't see the effects of God's Spirit. You can feel, can't you? When you feel God's presence, His Spirit touch your life. Now here's the deal. You and I and every single person in this room and throughout this entire planet, you have a spirit. You have a spiritual DNA. You have a life force in you. But this is the problem. Your spirit is broken. It's broken. It can't receive. It can't connect. It can't get it. But God promises us a rebirth of his energy, of his power, of his DNA in us. It's through his spirit when we open ourselves up to him. How many of you have ever seen the wind? You haven't. But you've seen the effects of the wind, right? And in the same way, just because you can't see the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that it's not there, that it's not real, that you don't see its effects. The pneuma is like this breath, this life, the wind of God that is real. There's a cool little children's poem (coughs) written by an English woman by the name of Christina Rossetti. She was uh, a writer during the 1800s. She was single. She never got married. And she gave her life to trying to follow Jesus the best way that she knew how. And her writings at that time were very, very popular. She was a person who believed, a person of faith, a person who saw Jesus as Lord and God of her life. And she spent a whole decade, her only thing she did for a whole decade was she reached out, cared for, loved, and helped rehabilitate prostitutes, who, ex-prostitutes who had gone through horrible times during the 1800s. And maybe, probably the most important poem she ever wrote was one that is called, Who Has Seen the Wind? And we're going to look at a clip of it right now. And you're probably looking and going, I didn't hear it. Neither did I. 
But this is what the poem says. Who has seen the wind? Neither I nor you. But when the leaves hang trembling, the wind is passing through. Who has seen the wind? Neither you nor I. But when the trees bow down their heads, the wind is passing by. Just like you can't see the effects of the wind, It doesn't mean that it isn't there. And in the same way, just because you can't see God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that it isn't present. But if you want to see the effects of the Holy Spirit, look at the person beside you right now. Look at the people that are in this room today. They are people who have bowed their heads to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because the pneuma... The Spirit blew into their life one day, and they couldn't go back. They just had to have their souls connected. I spoke with a woman last week who um, came to our meet and greet, which is kind of a time in which uh, people come and they get to meet me, and I greet them, we talk uh, a little bit. And she came up to me, and she said, Hey, I have a question for you. And, you know, as a pastor, I was real... You know, like, man, I can answer this. And then I said, I may not be able to answer it, but go ahead and ask anyways, okay? And so she said, well, this is my question. She, she said, can you explain to me this whole God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? And I said, to be honest, she said, yeah. I said, no, I can't. But I said, there is an illustration. And then I gave the ice thing to her, just like I did for you today. And explain that to her. And she got to the end of that, and she's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I was like, yeah, baby. And then I really went like this. Because that's the only illustration I had. You know, if she said, I don't get it, I was like, well, go find another church, because that's, you know, that's, that's the best that we got, you know. But then she asked this question. She said, what about the Holy Spirit? And this is what I said to her. I said, the Holy Spirit is something that you can't see, but you often feel it and experience it. I said, have you ever had this experience before? You're sitting there on Sunday morning, and maybe it's a song, or maybe it's uh, something that I say. You know, I was hoping she's like, oh, yeah, something you say. But she didn't. She goes, oh, yeah, the music every once in a while. And I said, have you, have you ever felt like a tingling or you get goosebumps or you get hot or you get cold or you begin to start crying and you don't understand why? But, and she's like, yeah, yeah, I've experienced that before. And I said, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God's Spirit touching you. And I said, have you ever been real stressed or anxious or overwhelmed to a point where you just couldn't hardly make it and you said a prayer and all of a sudden you just felt this sense of peace come to your life when just a few seconds ago you were so anxious and tied up in knots that you couldn't even function? She said, yeah, I've experienced that. I said, that's the Holy Spirit. And I said, the effects of the Holy Spirit you experience, and he wants you to have that 
every single moment of your life during your day. So I just want to ask you this morning. Are you in need of some power, some energy, something to give you life, the life force of God? I mean, maybe you've lost your sense of direction and you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I just don't feel like I have a purpose. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. Or maybe you're single again. You've gone through a divorce and you're there and you're like, you know what? I never expected my life to end up like this, but now it is. Or maybe you're a single parent or any kind of parent. Maybe you're a working parent. And you get to the end of your day and you're so exhausted and worn out that you have no energy for your kids. Maybe you've lost your job recently. And you feel so discouraged and depressed, you don't even know if you can go on. Or maybe you're going through financial issues and you're like, where are we going to find the money for ends to actually meet? Maybe you're here today and you're just tired. You're exhausted. You're worn out. You're just kind of flatlined. No real purpose. You need some spirit. You're in need of power and energy that you don't have for yourself that only God can give to you. Well, guess what? You're in luck. You're in luck because that's what the true living God does. He takes people who turn to him who are broken. And every single person that you ever see is broken to some extent. And he fills them with his spirit. That's why when Jesus came back, after he he rose from the grave, he comes to a room and the disciples are there, 12 or 11 of them at that time, and they're all scared and nervous and they've got the doors locked down. And the scripture tells us that Jesus stood within them and he breathed upon them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Today, maybe you're in need of God's power in your life. Maybe you've never experienced that before, but today is the day where you might say, I'm ready to receive God's power, His Spirit in my life. Well, let's pray. Father, would you just come right now into this room by the power of your Holy Spirit? Allow it to come and and move people away from all the worries of this world. And maybe just right now you would just Give your peace to them. That they could just take a deep breath and go. And as they do, God, I pray that you would then fill them with your spirit. Breathe upon us. Let us 
Know that you're present, God, in this moment. And as your wind comes, God, would it blow out the cobwebs of our heads and our hearts that get us to make the same bad decisions over and over again? God, would you just kind of blow that out? And would we just be filled by your Spirit? And God, those of us who feel totally powerless today, who feel like there is no power at all that we have, God, would you fill your people with your power this morning? Blow through this place with your wind. Allow your spirit to come. And maybe what you need right now is the wind at your back just to give you a little bit of encouragement of God's Spirit to say, you can do it. You can make it. Receive God's Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today there are two people that will come up here who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. And um, they come to say, we want to make a commitment, an outward kind of expression of our commitment to God by getting baptized. So I'd invite them to uh, come up. (coughs) And uh, Megan's kids, they can come up too. Jacob and Caleb. Everybody, this is Tanya. Say hi. All right, good. And this is uh, Megan and Kalen and also Jacob. And uh, they come together to get baptized. And today's a great day in the life of the church because every time a person comes and they give their life to Christ and they get baptized, um, the Holy Spirit's definitely present and looks forward to what God's going to do new in your life. And I just want for all of you to know that We believe here at the Jard that baptism is not an end point. It doesn't mean that you've arrived, that you've got it all together, but it's a beginning point of growing closer to the one who knows you best and loves you most, and that's Jesus himself. And so uh, I invite you, uh, Megan and Tanya, to uh, repeat or to just kind of affirm these vows, and then we'll repeat a declaration after that. Megan and Tanya, do you believe that Jesus is God's son and you receive and trust him as your Lord and Savior? And do you repent of your sins and by God's grace commit to live according to the example and teachings of Jesus? And will you promise to read your Bible regularly, pray daily, and share the loving message of Jesus to others? And will you be faithful to the church that Jesus died for? by serving, giving, praying for, and committing to the vision of the jar. And I invite you all now to uh, kind of repeat this public declaration after me. The very first time I did it was uh, six years ago. We were out at Prairie Creek Reservoir, and I was a little bit more, um, what do you say, Uh, not sensitive. And so I had a bullhorn, and I gave it to every single person. They had to go, I declare... 
And I thought it'd be so great. Like everyone on the lake would be like, oh, yeah. And it just made people cry. So uh, we don't do that anymore, okay? But every person who's ever been baptized um, declares these words. And uh, I'll invite you guys to just repeat them after me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I am sorry for my sins and turn away from them and turn towards God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross so that I could be forgiven and set free. I now invite your Holy Spirit into my life. I love you, Jesus. Now, today's kind of a double blessing for Megan because she comes uh, to both dedicate both Kalen and Jacob to God and as a family to say that Christ will kind of be the, the center of our life. And so um, Jacob, a couple weeks ago, or two times I've taught on Jacob, and Jacob means uh, deceiver or manipulator. <laughs> he told me he didn't like that. So I looked up, and an old English version says that Jacob means one who follows. And so you will be a follower of Jesus, Jacob, and that will be a good thing to be. Okay. Well, Megan, um, will you promise to support and love Kaylin and Jacob by providing the opportunity for them to grow up in the Christian faith with the hope that one day they will accept Jesus as their own Savior and Lord? And will you, to the best of your ability and with God's help, provide a loving family environment in which Kaylin, Jacob, can grow in love, loyalty, and obedience to God? And will you encourage Kaylin and Jacob to grow in their faith by reading the Bible and having them read the Bible together, by praying with them, by bringing them here to the jar so that one day they might be baptized as well? All right. Well, let's all give a hand and welcome them to the jar today. Well, let's stand. Always know that you're loved in this place. If you have children, please go pick them up. Because we will not keep them forever, okay? Please pick them up. And if you can, go poolside to the uh, baptism and uh, have a great week. Thanks, guys.